Hello, welcome to the Dentist Pocket Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harry Singh, helping you grow your facial aesthetics business. Very privileged to welcome an old friend. I won't say how old because that will show both our ages. Um, and as a big Liverpool fan, I hate to say this, but one of the nicest, most trusted guys I know in dentistry, even though his team um, alliance is a bit shady, etc. <laughs> um, so welcome to Chris Bellow. Thank you, Harry. And uh, I, I, do you know, I just knew uh, when we agreed to uh, uh, this podcast that we'd, we'd start off talking about football because we always do anyway. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, probably I want to talk about football less with you at the moment than at any time since you and I first met, uh, considering for those people who aren't uh, football followers on the podcast here, uh, considering that my team, Manchester United, recently got savagely trounced <laughs> by Liverpool, uh, seven goals to nil at Anfield. And uh, uh, I think I'm still in therapy on that, Harry. <laughs> no, well, actually, it's worse for me. I got married in 99, and my wife and her family are big Man United fans. They're from Derby. And oh. as you know, from 99 onwards, Man United dominated, and Liverpool did sweet FA. And so it's been a good few last seasons. Got my revenge back there that... I think they've changed their numbers. The WhatsApps have been stopped there. So um, if anyone's been living under a cave for the last 20, 30 odd years and don't know who you are, if you just want to give a small introduction on who you are and what's your role in dentistry. I will, Harry. Thank you. Yeah, it, you know, it's really nice uh, nowadays that whenever I speak at a conference, the only introduction I ever get is the next speaker needs no introduction. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's very, very flattering, of course, but I also mindful of the fact um, that uh, I recently spoke at a meeting of the British Undergraduate Dental Research Conference. So that's about uh, three or 400 dental students getting together once a year, which they do in Manchester. Yeah. And, uh, they invited me along to speak. And of course, nobody had a clue who I was. It was actually quite nice. Um, so in case there is anybody out there, my name's Chris Barrow. The most important thing that you need to know, I think, about me is that I'm not a dentist, but that for the last 30 years, um, I have been working in the dental landscape as a business coach, business development consultant. If you imagine Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares in your dental practice, you're probably about right um, with marginally less swearing. Uh, but I think, as Harry will testify, a fairly pragmatic and direct approach uh, to giving people advice on how to open new businesses, yeah. uh, advice on how to scale existing businesses to get bigger and better. And ultimately, of course, what's occupied a lot of my time in recent years has been given those same people advice on how best to sell their businesses because we've seen a lot of people do that but uh, fortunately we'll probably end up talking about marketing and unfortunately I've got a nice kind of sausage machine going where as people sell their practices um, they are replaced they are replaced by people who are either buying practices or opening practices or building little groups and uh, so I'm very very blessed by the fact that I've got a constant uh, supply of new clients coming through the door as well. Have you just let the um, see big secret out? Is that your next Netflix series, um, Gordon Ramsay's Dental Practices? Yeah. <laughs> um, somehow or other, I don't think I'm ever going to be approached by a TV production company to say, 
let's do a fly on the wall series about dental practices. And yet, if they only knew how interesting and entertaining it yeah. would be, because frankly, uh, all human life exists within the walls of a dental practice, as you and I both know, Harry, uh, the next uh, soap opera is only just waiting round the corner for most people in business. And um, if it was to happen, it's not your only appearance on TV. So people, you want to talk about your experience and how you learnt or what did you take away from your TV appearance and business? All right. So uh, again, it, it, the, there probably aren't many people left in the world that I haven't told this story to. But uh, back in 2013, 14, 2014, um, I was uh, one of the castaways on the very first series of uh, a show called The Island with Bear Grylls. Yeah. And so we were we were season one and uh, I was one of 13 uh British males um, who were deposited uh, in a mangrove swamp in a semi-tropical island in the Pacific, just yeah. off the uh, coast of um, Panama. Uh, we were left there for a month. Um, we arrived with 24 hours water, no food, um, three machete, three knives, and a first aid kit. We didn't have any fire lighting equipment. Uh, we didn't have much of anything, actually. But, no, uh, no dental floss? Uh, not, no dental floss, Harry, although we did find hundreds of discarded tooth, uh, toothbrushes on oh. the western beaches of the island, along with a lot of other human detritus. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we stayed there for a month, and uh, we'd been trained to film ourselves, and that turned into a Channel 4 series that aired in May 2014. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, to our delight, the production company that made that show, they're called Shine TV in Camden, and yeah. they won a BAFTA that year for the best original reality TV series. So sometimes when I'm feeling a bit giddy, I announce myself as the only dental business coach in the world that has actually won a BAFTA. It's not strictly true because it was yeah. the TV company that won it. But uh, about a year after the TV show, we had a reunion up in the Peak District, all the guys off the uh, uh, the show got together and shine tv god bless them couriered the bafta award up to derbyshire okay. so they all get the money shot with that golden face uh, so i've got that somewhere in the archive what did i learn from that experience i learned uh i learned that i was resilient um that i survived by the way all 13 of us we stayed the whole uh, the whole month yeah. nobody nobody got off. nobody was eliminated or volunteered to leave i learned a lot about resilience um I, I i was reminded and also learned about leadership about what it takes to be a leader in an environment like that um but i think that the most important thing that that, that i also learned what it's like to not eat or, or <laughs> um so i i'm i'm an 11 stone 7 marathon runner and cyclist and i've been 11 stone seven most of my life and uh i was down to 10 stone within 14 days nice. and in fact the 13 of us lost 23 stone in weight in the first two weeks yeah. uh, because we were surviving on about 200 calories a day for the first fortnight yeah. and then about 700 calories a day in the second fortnight because we learned how to fish um but i learned what it's like to go without food um, I learned what it's like to go without water, to be dehydrated. 
I learned what it was like to have to improvise, fend for yourself. We were making things out of nature, but yeah. we were also making things out of the rubbish that we found on the beaches around us. And we, I, I learned that human beings are very enterprising creatures that we can we can invent and we can adapt and we're very agile and we can react to circumstances in a very positive way. So in, in most ways, it was a very inspiring and uplifting experience. So now one of the conversations we had with the advice that the producer or you asked the producers what not to do, and they said, don't be an idiot. Do yeah. you think dentists could learn from that on their social media habits? <laughs> well, it, it, it's a very good point. When we were doing survival training for the the, the, the TV show, um, and when I say survival training, they trained us for 48 hours before they put us on the island. But they taught us something very important. It's called the rule of three. And it's actually standard survival training. I'll go through it if I can remember it. Um, three seconds without thinking, yeah. three minutes without air, three hours without shade, three days without water, yeah. three weeks without food, and three months without human company. Okay. And after three months, you start talking to a volleyball, um, <laughs> as Tom Hanks demonstrated very clearly. But the most important of those rules is the very first one, three seconds without thinking. Hmm. And in, in a jungle environment, in a survival environment, you might, sw you might swipe a machete in towards your body rather than away from your body, and it bounces off a tree or a vine and it takes out one of your, artery, your, your, your arteries. Yeah. Or three seconds without thinking, you might try and jump over a ravine but underestimate the distance and trip and fall. So what they taught us to do is that even though we were very, very disorientated by dehydration and hunger and heat, we had to stop and think for three seconds before we made literally the next step yeah. or the next slice. And of course, on social media, it's a lesson that we all need to learn itself. And you might remember, Harry, a number of years ago at a dental conference that yeah. I saw uh, something that got my blood boiling. And we perhaps won't go into the detail on this podcast. Let me just say that the person and I, that I, I was involved with another individual on this and it went viral on social media. We have since made great friends and, and laugh about it now. But in the moment, somebody did something at a dental conference. My blood boiled. I didn't think for three seconds. I walked out into a public arena and made a statement in front of people and then posted onto social media using the F word. And I was vilified, absolutely vilified. Uh, over 9,000 people responded to my Facebook post, as it was in those days, uh, to say, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, and my wife nearly killed me for having made the mistake because I didn't think. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, any business owner, one of the things that you have to constantly remind yourself, and in fact, I've, I've got a clock over here on the wall, which is covered in little statements. And one of the statements is, be sure to taste your own words before you spit them out. Very good. Yeah. Maybe Gary Lineker should have meant that. 
<laughs> Probably best not to get onto that. No. no. Okay, so you mentioned you've been in the business for 30 years. Have you seen, was there a lot of resistance to learn the non-clinical part of dentistry and facial aesthetics compared to now where people know they're running a business, they need to learn communication, marketing and sales? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I mean, if you go back, my, my first dental client was 1993 and, um, and I actually went full-time dental in January 97. Back then, let me explain to you dental practice. By, by the way, back then, to all intents and purposes, there was no such thing as facial aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Th- I'd, you'll know better than me, Harry, but I don't think it even existed. No. Uh, but back then, dental practice marketing was made up of the following. Number one, a brass plaque on the wall outside your surgery with a list of all the names and qualifications of the clinicians. Yeah. Number two, a standard printed box in yellow pages which had to be the same and say the same as all the other dental boxes in yellow pages yeah and number three a trifold patient information leaflet that you would hand out to people that would have a logo on the front opening times a few bits of information about crowns and bridges and maybe if you were lucky a bit of a price guide on it have you read that was it? bio? Because I just did all three things. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was it. And and there was no other marketing. And so actually what was happening is that I turned up in the mid eight mid nineties, sorry. I turned up in the mid nineties starting to talk <laughs> now that I think about it, to talk then about exactly what I talk about now, which is um what we nowadays call word of mouth recommendation about turning your patients into your sales force, um, about turning your patients into raving fans and ambassadors. And quite honestly, people looked at me as if I'd just landed out of a spaceship. It was, it's like, what is this guy talking about? Because all I need to do is qualify from dental school, do a few years as an associate, buy myself a practice, which by the way, in those days, you were buying practices at probably one and a quarter times EBITDA as opposed to eight times EBITDA nowadays. Um, You buy a practice, you get your brass plaque changed, off you go, the world beats a path to your doorstep. And, of course, the other issue that's worth mentioning back in the mid to late 90s is is that the, the, the range of products and services that were available from a dental practice was far more limited than it is nowadays. Um, So you you had fewer things to sell for less money uh, to probably more people. Yeah. And you make a good point. And I always say to my delegates, it's not the best known clinician. It's not the best clinician. It's the best known clinician that wins. He's he's not the best psychologist in America, but he's the best known and he gets paid the most because people, he advertises markets himself. He's the brand, and and you know I've I've always been um, I've always been very uh, careful with money. I, I I would not describe myself as tight. You know I don't mind going out and spending a bob or two, whether it's pleasure or work. But I I, I would describe myself as prudent. Yeah, and so I'm always looking at marketing spend. And I'm asking myself, how do I keep that as minimal as I possibly can, whilst at the same time getting the the, the best return for my money? 
Um, and this is where I keep coming back to this thing that, I mean, the, as far as I'm concerned, there are three types of marketing. And this is where I'll, you, you and I could well differ uh, because we have done before. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, there are three ways of marketing any business, mine, yours, or anybody else's. Number one is internal marketing. And internal marketing is turning your patients into your sales force. Now, of course, somebody on the podcast will be saying, well, what happens if you open a brand new business? Well, we'll come to that in a minute. All right. Um, so number one, internal marketing. Professor Robin Dunbar has taught us that you and I know 150 people each and that everybody knows 150 people. If anybody wants to research that, just Google Dunbar's number, D-U-N-B-A-R, Dunbar's number, or Wikipedia Dunbar's number. You'll read all about it. So we all know 150 people each, and every one of your patients knows 150 people, family, friends, colleagues, community. So that's where internal marketing comes from. Number two is inbound marketing. And inbound marketing is to make sure that you are publishing sufficient volumes of quality educational material so that if somebody in your postcode is sat at home on a wet Sunday typing into Google, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about facial aesthetics or what would where would I start if I was thinking about, you know, botulinum toxin or whatever? Whatever questions they're talk, t- typing into Google, that actually Google is identifying your blog or your newsletter or your website as a primary source for the answer to that question so that people are finding you as a result of uh, having the answers to questions. And I don't mean who's the cheapest. That's not the question I want the answer to. It's tell me more about this subject because I want to know. Okay. So inbound marketing is what you do to make sure that you're at the top of that league table. And again, the interesting thing about internal marketing and inbound marketing is that the currency is time and creativity, mm. not money. Yeah. And that suits. And then we come to the third type of marketing, which is actually misnamed because it's not marketing at all. It's advertising. And advertising is what happens when you are shouting at strangers, as Seth Godin would say. Yeah. Uh, if you put a billboard on the Hammersmith flyover, that's advertising. Um, if you buy a stand at a local wedding fair, that's advertising. If you pay an agency for Google pay-per-click or Facebook advertising or Instagram advertising, it's advertising and it's expensive and it's a very high rate of financial investment for what can often be a very low return. And I was going to say the trouble with dentists is (laughs) and part of the problem with dentists is that because they see themselves as time starved very often they'll throw money at an advertising agency in the hope that that advertising agency might solve their marketing problem for them and it will but it will be a huge attrition rate talking to a lot of price shoppers and a lot of tire kickers and a lot of time wasters and a lot of people, ultimately, you don't really want as long-term patients anyway. Yeah. So the question is, what do you do when you've got a brand new business? You've got a squat and you're starting from scratch. Well, Harry, you know the answer to that. Yeah. Networking, communication. Yeah, 
and also where people go wrong, the bank the, the banks mislead people that open private school and said, "Oh, work there part time, go somewhere else, do get." Yeah. I ignored that hundred percent. If I'm seeing one patient a day, I'm going to give them one hundred percent attention, spend as much time. They're going to become raving fans, tell other people. But same again, it's networking, newsletters, blogs. That's right. And, and you know, one of the things when we go back to, you know, uh, the, the the practice that you opened in uh, Hatfield, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Um, aesthetics, yeah. yeah. Um, that, you know, you back in the day, you weren't throwing money, you weren't throwing two or three thousand pound a month at agencies trying to get internet leads. You were out networking. I remember you having a stand in the local leisure club. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and and I remember you, you know, blogging and newslettering and getting the word out around the community because you knew that that was the right way to grow your business. Being dead, done it. <laughs> so um, there's a verb named after you when people say you've been babbowed. <laughs> where, <laughs> where where did that that come from, and what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, do you know the, the, there are actually two verbs that have been invented um, around me. And um, I, I actually regard them both as compliments. The the first one, I'm I've, I'm not quite sure where either of them came from. I've got a sneaking suspicion that the first one that I'm going to share with you might have come from Nigel Jones, who's the sales and marketing director at Practice Plan, a long time ago. But he described me as Mister Marmite. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're, the first time you hear that, you you kind of go, ooh. Um, you know, that, that sounds a bit harsh, but actually, as soon as that was said, I was very, very, very happy to adopt it because uh, history has shown that there's a group of people that absolutely love Chris Barrow and everything that he does. And that there's another group of people who actually hate, they absolutely hate Chris Barrow and everything that he does. And can I say that there's an even bigger group of people who don't care? But yeah. but that that apart, the interesting thing about the haters, um, and this is where the Marmite comes, love it or hate it. The interesting thing about the haters is that they've got one thing in common, and that is that not one of them has ever been one of my clients. Yeah. So they've all got an opinion. Um, but it's clearly an opinion that is based on uh, their perception of uh, who I am and what I do and the way that I do it. And of course, I'm very, very happy to say that the the, the other group, the lovers, as it were, uh, are clients. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, over 30 years, I stopped counting the number of dental practices that I work with at about 2,000. I think I think me and Ashley, you know, we're, between the two of us, we've probably touched everybody now uh, in some form or other. But I'm very proud of that. And I'm very proud of the fact that um, you know, I, I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you an interesting story. I was in a workshop in January of 2022, okay. and I was wittering on about how important it was for us all to collect Google reviews. And so somebody in the audience, says, as often happens when you're a public speaker, somebody put their hand up and said, well, how many Google reviews have you got? <laughs> and, and the answer was seven. And uh, and I suddenly realised that there was a degree of hypocrisy in what I said. So what I did was I got my daughter, Rachel, to come up with a graphic design for a little card, a business card, with a QR code on it that allowed people to write Google reviews. And they they come in at about 25 quid for 250 of them. So I ordered a truck full 
And uh, in February of, of 2022, I started handing these out at client workshops, public speaking events, trade shows, anywhere that they invited me. I would put these QR codes down. And I would say to the audience at the end of a gig, if you've had a positive experience today, would you please send me a Google review? Now, one of the things, and here's a good tip for your listeners, is that one of the things is that I've had people where I've had 20 people in a room or 75 people in a room, and they've all sworn on the Bible that they're going to send me a Google review at the end of the day. I get about 5%. Yeah. So if I've got 100 people in a room and they all swear they're going to send me a Google review, if I get five, I've had a good day. However, I've done that for a year, and this morning I was on 247 uh, five-star Google reviews from people that have said, you know, Chris Bauer's a good egg and all that stuff, which shows the power of persistence. Mm. It also shows that there are people that love me. <laughs> um, so the Marmite thing is true. Yeah. And, um, and it also shows that, Everybody who's listening to this podcast should go and get one of those little cards printed up with a QR code on it yeah. and should hand them out to every patient that they ever meet mm. because 5% of them will respond positively. Yeah. So that's where, so that's Mr. Marmite. And then the second one, which is the one that you referred to, is people getting barrowed up. <laughs> and in very, very simple terms, that's the collective noun for a group of Chris Barrow former or current clients. Yeah. It's a group of people getting barrowed up. So what does that mean? Number one, it means that I've taught them to become better financial managers of their own business, to understand the money. Yeah. Number two, it means that I've taught them how to use internal and inbound marketing effectively to develop new patients. Number three, it means that I've been through with them and their teams, their complete patient journey, patient experience, in order to maximize the chance that the patients are going to become raving fans and going to buy treatment. Okay. Number four, it means that I've kept them abreast of where innovation is in both dentistry and facial aesthetics. And finally, number five, it means that I've helped them to become better leaders and I've helped their managers to become better managers. And then finally being barrowed up means that I've helped them to clarify exactly what their strategy is. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to grow it as much as you can within under one roof? Are you going to build other or buy other practices and turn yourself into a micro corporate? Yeah. Are you going to have five locations, 10, or in the case of my largest client, 38 locations around the UK, or are you just going to stay small? In the case of my smallest client, one dentist, one chair, one nurse in a rented room in Marlborough. Yeah. And ultimately, of course, what is your exit strategy? In other words, are you going to build, are you going to sell this thing one day and sail off into the sunset? Or are you going to create a goose that's going to lay golden eggs for as long as you like? Or are you going to sell it? to your associates, or are you going to give it to your kids? What what are you going to do with it? And so what, what I'm helping them to do is to figure all of that out. And the final thing about being barrowed up is that I have become their counsellor, confessor, psychiatrist, relationship coach, 
um, and personal coach as well. Yeah, and it's all intertwined. Like going back to Marmite, that's where dentists struggle because when they do their marketing or brand, they want to appeal to everyone. And part of marketing is attracting the right patient, but also this attracting the wrong type of patient. Yeah. Okay, been in business for a long time. So what was one of the best advice or tips you got when you started in business? That's a great question, Harry. And um, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of answers from the from the early, 90, early to mid-1990s when yeah. I hired my very first business coach, a coach to coach me. And her name back in the day was Marlene Elliott. And she was a very, very tough New Yorker um, who I uh, heard about through recommendation. And back in 1993, Marlene used to meet, Marlene and I, she lived in Gulf Coast, Florida then. And uh, she and I used to meet once a week by telephone. Yeah. Um, and in those days, of course, it had a twirly wire going into a box. <laughs> um, but uh, Marlene taught me a couple of really interesting things. The first thing was that it was Marlene who encouraged me to make a decision in 1996, which I have never regretted, and that is to book 12 weeks vacation every single year without fail. First time I did that in 1996, I was a workaholic with five small children who travelled for a living, so I hardly ever got to see my kids. In fact, I think our teachers thought that the mother was a single parent, (laughs) And um, and so deciding to take 12 weeks vacation then allowed me to get to know my kids. Um, I'm at, we are empty nests now. My kids are all adults and gone. But taking 12 weeks vacation nowadays uh, keeps Annie and I sane. And it also allows me to indulge in all of these crazy adventures that I like to go on, whether it's riding bikes, climbing mountains or losing weight on desert islands. <laughs> So best decision number one, 12 weeks vacation. Yeah. Um, Best decision number two was, again, based on something that Marlene said to me, and I quote her verbatim from probably about 1994. She said, one of the things you've got to understand, Chris, is that other people's opinion of you is none of your business. Yeah. And it was that that led me into a very deep exploration and understanding of the world of Stoicism. And I've spent a lot of time over the years reading the works and the interpretation of works from some of the great Greek and Roman Stoic philosophers. Yeah. And uh, don't ask me to explain stoicism in a sentence because it's it's not that easy but i will try and say that i i have a fundamental belief that i can control my own performance and behavior and opinions yeah. but i cannot and never will control the performance the behavior and the opinions of other people and other people's performance, behavior, and opinions cannot make me angry. I can only choose to be angry myself. Definitely. 
And uh, I would encourage anybody on this call who is interested in interpersonal relationships with patients, with team members, as a leader, as a manager, as a clinician, to spend a lot of time thinking about those lessons that I've just shared with you. And in particular, making reference to one of the greatest pieces of learning that I think I've come across in my career, which is called the Karpman Drama Triangle, K-A-R-P-M-A-N. Stephen Karpman uh, was a, uh, a psychologist, Californian, as these people always are, um, in the 1960s, I think. And uh, again, Google or Wikipedia, the Karpman Drama Triangle, and learn what Stephen Karpman taught us about the way that other people perform, behave, and the way that we ought to respond to that. Yeah. That's an interesting point because we speak to a lot of young dentists and they are petrified of posting their cases on social media in case they get the backlash from the old school dentist saying, yeah, what are you doing? And then, as I said, and you look at those cases 20 years ago, these experts of um, slating now, everyone starts from the beginning. True enough. And, and you know, somewhere in somewhere in the archive of the internet, there's a Facebook post from me that's got 9,000 people telling me I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, in the moment, they were right. Uh, but time, life goes on and time passes by. And as I say, I've, I've more than made amends with the individual that I came into conflict with at, at that time. And we now look back and laugh at it. But at the time, it felt like the world was caving in. Yeah. Talking about social media posts, have you ever posted a TikTok video? Not in my life. <laughs> no temptation then. Um, well, I, I, I would have to understand it first. Um, and, and secondly, um, and I defer to my learned colleague here because ev everything and anything that I do on the internet is actually moderated and supervised by my daughter, Rachel Barrow, uh, who has her own uh, design, design and marketing uh, freelance business. And uh, Rachel will not thank me for sharing with the audience that she's just turned 30 years old, uh, but has obviously an intuitive understanding of things like TikTok and uh, Be Real, I know. <laughs> which I'm occasionally roped into being photographed on because she gets a Be Real notification. And uh, But I defer to her knowledge and wisdom. And, and so I, I may well create content as I'm out and about on the road. I might take a picture in a conference or a picture in a hotel or a picture of you know, on the motorway or whatever. But that stuff, generally speaking, will go through, Rachel, in order to be moderated before it gets out to the web. So talking about that, you make an interesting point with, I know a lot of dentists struggle with content for social media. And one of my mentors said, document, don't create. Are you more documenting what you're doing on a daily basis or are you more creating content? Was it a mixture of both? I think it's a mixture, Harry. Um, I would say that insofar as Instagram and Facebook are concerned, it's very much document um, because I'm I'm just keeping a pictorial diary of where I'm up to. And, uh, you know, what what I've discovered over the years is that if you take a picture of yourself on the platform at Stockport Station at six o'clock in the morning, waiting to get the early train down to Euston, yeah. there's an appetite for that photograph. And, and, and similarly, if I take a picture of Annie and I walking the dogs on a 
Sunday afternoon, there's an appetite for that picture. And I think people, you know, we are, we are genuinely, we are naturally curious by nature yeah. as a species. And uh, I do find it somewhat disheartening when I, I uh, we've got a couple of Hungarian Vieslers at home and uh, I, every now and then, not very often, one of them might come down the stairs into my office in the basement yeah. and sit on the sofa. And I'll take a picture of the dog on the sofa and all of a sudden, I'll get more interest in that than the blog post that I've just written on the future of dentistry. Um, but that's same with my kids. When I post about the kids, I get so many likes and comments. When I post about yeah. specifics, it's Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, it's Hollywood. Babies, cats, dogs, and such. You know, you can't go wrong with it. But at the same time, so that's the documentation side of it. And then in terms of the content creation, I write a blog five days a week. I write a newsletter once a month. I'm constantly submitting articles to dental magazines, regular common column in dentistry magazine and so on and so forth. And that's where you get to create the content. And there's, I have to say, there's an equally powerful following for that. And it's really nice. It's really nice when you're off down at a dental conference and somebody just walks up to you as a complete and utter stranger and says, I've been reading your blog for years. Uh, I always have my morning coffee with the Chris Barrow blog. It just gets me grounded and set up for the rest of the day. Keep on going, Chris. You know, And that's a lovely moment when that happens. And, of course, every whip and flip, one of those people turns into a client. Yeah, you don't realise, as you said, people are watching. I've been doing newsletters like yourself. And then someone said, oh, I've read your newsletter five years ago. I've been following you. Now I'm ready to do Facebook yeah. clips. And when you write it, because you're not going to be motivated all the time, you think no one's going to read this, but consistency is the key. It is indeed. Um, I, I'm, I'm not doing one-upmanship here, but my world record is a dentist who hired me as his business coach 17 years after he started reading my blog. <laughs> um, and, he, and he hired me to help him sell his business. He'd been following it. He'd never wanted me to be there while he was active. But yeah. when it was ready to polish the silver and put it up for sale, he reached out and said, you know, come on down, I need your help. And uh, now, of course, if, if he was the only dentist in Britain, I'd have been buggered. But, uh, <laughs> of course, he's not. And so people just show up all the time because you've been putting quality material out into the workplace. Perfect. Like me, I know you're an avid reader. I know it's quite hard to pinpoint a couple of books, but what two or three books have really impressed you or changed your outlook? Business-wise? Yeah, business-wise. Yeah. Um, probably quite a lot easier to answer that than, than you might imagine. Um, number one um, uh, is a book which explains inbound marketing better than anything else that I've seen. It's a book which is called They Ask You Answer by mm. a fellow called Marcus Sheridan. Mm. They Ask You Answer, Marcus Sheridan. Um, everything that you ever needed to know about inbound marketing, it's absolutely brilliant. I share it with all my clients. You'll learn a lot about fiberglass swimming pools along the way because that's the industry yeah, it, yeah. it came from. But nonetheless, it's a classic work. The second one, um, and, and this may sound a, 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 a bit contrived, but it's actually very genuine. Uh, the business coach who coaches me and has coached me for the last seven or eight years now is an amazing lady called Rachel Turner. Yeah. And uh, in the last six months, she has published a book which has gone right to the top of the uh, bestseller list in Amazon. And it's called... The Founder's Survival Guide. The Founder's 
survival guide, Rachel Turner. And uh, it's everything that you need to know about who you need to be when you start up a business, yep. who you need to be when you're growing a business, and ultimately who you need to be when your business has matured. And those are three different personality types. When you start up a business, you've got to be what Rachel calls a brave warrior. When you are consolid when you're building an existing business, you've got to be what Rachel calls the considered architect. Yeah. And then finally, when your business achieves maturity, so do you, because you become who, the person who Rachel calls the wise monarch. And understanding that transition is very helpful. And it's a fabulous, lovely book on that subject. The, the Founder's Survival Guide, Rachel Turner. Perfect. Nearly coming to the end. Um, I know, like me, you're a workaholic. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Uh, doing exactly the same as I am doing now. Um, I am very, very blessed that in September this year, I will be celebrating my 70th birthday. Right. And I am very blessed to be uh, able to say that I'm still physically very active. Um, I hope I'm still mentally very active. Um, and uh, I'm still absolutely loving the job. Yeah. Um, I have recently announced my retirement. It will be on the 9th of September, 2053. Okay. That, will be, that will be my 100th birthday. Right. And I will consider my options at that point. Uh, but 10 years from now, Harry, I expect to be enjoying my work as much as I am doing today. Yeah. And you can tell like, the way you speak, your passion. And yeah, if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like hard work. You wake up every morning can't wait to get on with it. Um, so can, I, can I just jump in? That the, the founder of the Four Seasons Hotel Group is a man by the name of Isidore Sharp, who famously said that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day as long as you live. Yeah, perfect, perfect. No, thank you, Chris. We've definitely been ballowed up in, <laughs> in the last 40 minutes. So if people want to find out more information about your so I know you obviously run your coaching academy, you've got a podcast. We'll put all the links in the episode, but yep. a quick reference if people want to find out more about you. Uh, simple enough, coachbarrow.com. That's all lowercase, no spaces, C-O-A-C-H-B-A-R-R-O-W.com. And uh, links from there to everything I do. Perfect. Now, thank you for your time, Chris. Um, really close friend. I've used you on several occasions throughout my journey and still reference you and still seek advice from you when I need it there. So thank you, Chris, for your time. And the listeners had a gem of a 45 minutes. Thank you, Harry. Absolute pleasure.